Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. This Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines, that can make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATechSports.com. ATech, win every practice. And Aaron, we can just start right off with the Southeastern Conference. They began conference play in, in the best league in America. And uh, this week, of course, we're going to have a big SEC matchup on national television with Florida and South Carolina. But that series, a little shine got taken off that series, Aaron, with uh, – Florida just looks impregnable as they dominate Vanderbilt, giving up five runs all weekend. And South Carolina looks human. Uh, Their offense continues to struggle, and they wind up getting swept uh, at Kentucky, uh, you know, losing two one-run games but scoring only nine runs the whole weekend. It's amazing. Let's let's focus on the Gamecocks. It's just a shock when a Ray Tanner team gets gets, uh, swept. It just doesn't seem like that ever really happens to, to South Carolina. Um, I guess we'll focus first on the Gamecocks, and before we get into Kentucky, the team that did the sweeping. Uh, how concerned are you about the about the Gamecocks going forward, as far as their offense and uh, you know th- their late game situations, uh, as as they lost a couple late leads or close games here this weekend? You know, I think it's it's fair to uh, to wonder um, how good of an offensive team this is going to be. You know, because uh, it hasn't been. For five weeks now, I mean, they're averaging less than five runs a game. Uh, they're they're winning a lot of games still because they have a great pitching staff, and they haven't allowed many runs. And you know, they didn't allow many runs this weekend. I mean, you know, four, four, and six. It's not like they're getting bludgeoned. Um, so I'm I'm still not terribly concerned about the pitching staff. Um, you know, and even the bullpen, which didn't pitch great this weekend. I mean, has been good for most of the year. Um, you know, I, I think losing. It sounds like they lost uh, um, Ethan Carter this weekend. You know, uh, to a disciplinary issue. Um, I don't know that he's going to be back for them. Reading between the lines, so I think that's actually a significant loss because he was kind of a nice right-handed setup guy there for Forrest Kumis. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. But you know, I mean, I think with Tyler Webb back there, and uh, um, you know, I, I still believe in Kumis as a closer. I mean, in general, I, th- I think he can do the job. I don't think South Carolina needs to move Matt Price back to the bullpen. I'm sure that's going to be a topic of conversation in Columbia. But I mean, I, I think the pitching is fine. I don't know. You know how potent South Carolina is going to be offensively. They weren't exactly John explosive last year, and, and they won the, the national championship anyway because they were, you know, they were mentally tough and they had great pitching and defense and all that stuff. But uh, if you if you compare them to Florida, like you know you talked about this series coming up in Gainesville, right. or, I mean in, in, in Columbia rather, excuse me. Um, you know, I mean, Florida on paper has all the advantages. They're right. they're so much more they're so much more explosive offensively. They have so much more power. Um, you know, they their pitching staff has been, is particularly in the bullpen, has been more more consistent. Um, I mean, it's uh, you know, Sacramento is at home, and that's 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 nice. It's going to be a great atmosphere, and and you know that that the Gamecocks, you know, they find 
ways to get answers there. I mean, they don't stay down for long. The coaching staff is too good. But uh, you know, but I'm, I'm I think it's fair to to wonder at this point um, whether or not you know South Carolina is going to go through some some uh, some bumps in the road here with this young team with a lot of new starters on the field. And that's a great way to put it. There are a lot of new starters, and uh, this is just an unexpected bump in the road as far as getting swept. I don't think it's yeah. necessarily shocking that they lost the series, uh, or series, as I probably should say. Um, <laughs> it also seems like they've had some inconsistency in their middle infield defense. I know they've kind of uh, played a couple guys over at shortstop. Are they a particularly left-handed team, Aaron? Were you surprised that their offense was held down by three left-handers, or should I just give them more of the credit to Kentucky for the way it pitched. Yeah, I think it's more the latter. I mean, I, I look at South Carolina. They don't strike me as a, a team that's terribly unbalanced as far as left and right. I mean, their, their best hitter, Christian Walker, is a right-handed hitter. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they're not like – to me, they don't feel like a North Carolina or a UCLA, you know, where you look at them and they say, man, if you can throw a good lefty out there, you know, you've got a chance to mow through these guys. Um, but so, I mean, I think that makes Kentucky's win even more impressive is it's not like – you know, they necessarily matched up great with, with South Carolina with the left-on-left thing. I mean, I, I think – I just think Kentucky's a, a pretty darn good team, John. I think they're complete. I mean, I think uh, – you know, we talked about those three lefties in the weekend rotation. You know, I, I think A.J. Reed is another lefty coming out of the, the bullpen this weekend. Uh, I mean, to me, he's he feels like Brian Johnson part two. I mean, he's just a big, physical, powerful left-handed hitter with, you know, with the – Really good feel for three pitch mix on the mound, and he's, you know, I mean, I think that's that's a guy who's got a chance to be a really special player for them. Um, and and Austin Cousineau, another freshman that we've we've talked about a little bit. I mean, I know it's a guy that you really like as as a dynamic center fielder. These young players fit in so well with the the veterans that they have. You know, Luke Maley's come into his own as a power right. guy in the middle, and right. you know the the J T Riddle and and uh, and Matt Wright at short uh, in the middle infield. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a good group, and they've got a, they've they've put in some junior tr- college transfers and some freshmen, and you know, I think this team could be dangerous. And they've got a nice physical middle lineup with Flynn and Maley that yeah. are a couple of guys. You know, Flynn, the transfer from Moorhead State, who's already got six home runs for them. And Maley, when you when we were looking at this team in the preseason, you know they, we get all these questionnaires we've talked about before on the on the show. You know, they they were clearly very uh, enthusiastic about their club. I mean, the uh, you know they thought they had outstanding team chemistry. You know, they talked about basically like uh, how how much depth they have in their pitching staff on their in their lineup. They really didn't point to a weakness on their club except for maybe their infield defense. Um, but clearly, uh, they defended well enough this weekend. And like you said, just they look like a very complete team, Kentucky. It's not. I don't think you could use the word fluke with them, especially in terms of their talent. Is it maybe a little bit fluky? that they swept the series. I wouldn't even know if I'd say that. I think the fluke was that it was really hard to, to, to know just how how good they were going to play, how well they would play this weekend, considering their their caliber of competition coming into it had been Buffalo, Illinois, Chicago, right. that kind of thing. Now it seems like, Aaron, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're set up fairly well, but they're going to have an interesting test because they're next, they, they win this big series, they sweep this series, they're going on the road for their next two SEC series at, at Tennessee and at Georgia. And three out of their next four are all on the road uh, with another one in Arkansas. So uh, yeah. I think we I think we've realized that Kentucky's for real. Now they really kind of have to see with this 21 game winning streak. They're too shy of the SEC record, which apparently was just wow. set, just set two years ago by LSU's championship team. Three years ago, I guess it was actually. Uh, wait a minute, no, it was 2010. So that wasn't LSU's championship team. Is it, okay, in 2010. It's uh, according to this 
uh, thing I was reading on, on the uh, Batcats uh, website, um, which I guess is what the Lexington paper calls the Kentucky baseball team, the Batcats, which I think is uh, – it's, it's almost like treating them like a women's basketball team, you know? <laughs> it's well, you know, strange it, to see Batcats. And, and it says from staff reports. So yeah. the Lexington paper did not staff – this series. Meanwhile, South Carolina, I think, had like seven or eight people travel up with it, media contingent, on the road for an SEC series. So, obviously, basketball school versus a, I guess now yeah. a baseball school in South Carolina. Uh, it's always fascinating to me to see how, uh, you know, a place like Kentucky, this should kind of help. This team could kind of help put their baseball program kind of back on the map where they had a, a nice run there under John Cohen, now Mississippi State, and we'll talk about them later in the podcast, but uh, pretty amazing to me that the, this series, which we were both looking to, is like this is going to be a really interesting series to kind of see how Kentucky measures up. Uh, the, the, like, the home paper didn't even cover the series. Yeah, that's that's too bad. You, you know, you you hate to see that. I mean, it's a it's a big series coming to the weekend. But I'll tell you what, John, South uh, Kentucky, you know, they've got a winnable stretch. Even though these games are on the road coming up, and you got at Cincinnati, at Tennessee, at Western Kentucky. I mean, you could or home against Western Kentucky. You could imagine. You know the Wildcats being twenty-five and zero. I mean, twenty-six and zero heading into that Georgia series. It's is not is not out of the realm of possibility. It's not. I really don't expect them to go sweep all four of these games on the road. Though first time on the road, um, you know, Cincinnati's decent, but then at Tennessee, right. that's going to be a challenge for me. Just going on the road and league play yeah. will be different. But like you said, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, it'd be it would be heady territory uh, for them to have uh, the baseball program. Uh, they're still not going to get any the headlines considering the basketball program and the, it's Kentucky and uh, the the way their basketball team is playing. But yeah, you could go into that Georgia series. That'd be crazier in the 26 game win streak. That would be that'd be a little nuts. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Let's uh, keep it in the Southeastern Conference, Aaron, because uh, we we mentioned Florida. Um, the Gators go and uh, sweep that series from uh, from Vanderbilt. 17-game winning streak for Florida, which is nothing to sneeze at, obviously. Uh, kind of amazing. And they've played a little bit tougher caliber of competition yeah. uh, than the Wildcats have. But uh, Vanderbilt, you know, you're only 20 games in, and you don't want to stick a fork at anybody. But, wow, the uh, the Commodores didn't really offer much resistance to the Gators. I think you hit on it in your preamble a little bit of just, just how complete Florida is. I mean, their, their power really stands out uh, compared to other clubs. Oh, when you've got, I mean, just Preston Tucker and Mike Zeno alone, I mean, those two guys, a right-handed power hitter and a left-handed power hitter, I mean, those guys are, you know, I mean, nobody, I don't think there's anyone, any team in the country that has two guys in the middle of the lineup who can match that. And Stanford's got all kinds of physicality and then some power in there, but as far as proven home run hitters, um, you know, those guys are as dangerous as it gets. And then you add a, you know, a Taylor Gushu in there, the, the freshman. I mean, that guy just keeps on raking for them. And just yeah. what they need is one more power bat. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I think, I think, uh, Vikash Ramjit's probably the, the best bench player in America. I mean, you know, he, <laughs> yeah, that guy would be, a, he could be a frontline starter at a lot of places at, at first base or DH, and they don't have room for him. Yeah, they just, they, he, he's just not playing very much. They, they, like you said, they don't have room for him. And then I, I, the other point that you mentioned that I really like is the depth of their bullpen. And I want to talk a little bit with you about Austin Maddox because he fascinates me on a team where, uh, you know, obviously Brian Johnson is the top two-way player in the country. I mean, that's fair to say. I mean, the guy's a yeah. stud on the mound and a, and a tremendous hitter as well, a force in the middle of their lineup. Um, and again, another power bat like you're talking about. But Austin Maddox, a guy who 
and we had 70 raw power grades thrown on, thrown on this guy when he was in high school. Um, he was a pretty accomplished high school player. And as a college player, especially since the, the change in bats, he's really remade himself as this just sh- complete shutdown closer. He hasn't walked the guy yet this year. Their bullpen depth is really um, enviable. And we saw last year in Omaha they had the advantage in bullpen depth over South Carolina. It didn't really matter because South Carolina's top two bullpen guys were just unhittable in Omaha and Price and Jonathan, the, the now departed John Taylor. But uh, it feels like Austin Maddox – is a, could be a one-man bullpen if he needed to. This guy has been so good, and it just feels like it feels like he's just the, the X factor on this team who has developed mm. in a way differently than maybe how they envisioned it when they recruited him. I think that's true, and and I think it is a one-two punch in there that's similar to Price and, and Taylor, except you've got Maddox from the right side and Steven Rodriguez from the left side. Who sure. I just I think I think the world of Steven Rodriguez is, is a college, you know. Um, Left-hander with a with a filthy cutter that you can extend and you know goes deep into games if he needs to and he's yeah, I think he's fantastic. Um, so you know I think those two guys back there are, really give them a weapon. And, and you know what I think you're going to see Maddox as the season progresses. I think he's going to he's you know might play a little bit more in the lineup as well. I mean he had three hits this weekend. He started the first game and came off the bench in the second game and had a, a pinch hit single or, or a hit. Um, but uh, you know, he's uh, Sully's talked about how he just kind of wanted to ease ease uh, Maddox and Johnson in a little bit. You know, not put too much of a load on them early. But he does believe both those guys, you know, including Maddox, are still valuable offensively. And and you know, you know I, I think I think uh, Maddox will continue to have a, that dual role. I mean, this guy was a you know even this year, even though he's he's more of a pitcher now. Uh, it seems like he still was voted a preseason second team All American as a two way player by the scouting director. So I mean, he's right. you know, he's still got legit two way talent. Yeah, he, he's his physicality and his versatility um, just are seem to make him a very unique player. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. We've got a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, the blog Woe Doctor. Uh, the Twitter handle is at Woe Doctor. Asks uh, Carsten Whitson. Whit, uh, easy for me to say. Carsten Whitson is still out. Legitimate, potentially long-term health concerns or precautionary measure. Aaron, it seems like our information right now is precautionary measure. Correct. Right. As far as I know, that, that is the case, and maybe that situation uh, um, will change. But uh, it, it does seem like they're just being careful, and certainly, you know, they've haven't had any problems on Sundays without him. Uh, you know, Jonathan Crock. Obviously, Whitson's going to be a big part of for now, but on there, and, and hopefully he comes back. But uh, right now, I still, still don't have a timetable for that. Other SEC team, let's keep it in the SEC briefly, uh, Aaron. Uh, we haven't really talked that much about Arkansas maybe this year because they haven't you know, done anything that, that's wowed anybody. But here they are, number three in our latest top 25 rankings. And uh, doing kind of – they kind of are who we thought they were. Uh, they yeah. really, really, really pitch, uh, this Razorbacks team. And their pitching depth, really in, in, in evidence, as you talked about a couple of weeks ago, the way they've been able to stretch out their bullpen, where Nolan Sandberg doesn't, doesn't even necessarily have to be the closer. He's kind of in this uh, middle relief expanded role right now. Yeah, that's true. And, and uh, you know, he came in there on Sunday when uh, they needed him in 
the fifth inning and uh, relieved Randall Fant and, and gave him two and two thirds strong innings. And uh, you know, I think they kind of like having Barrett Aston at the back of the bullpen. I mean, so you know, this guy's got pretty good good stuff on his own. It's not maybe as electric as Sandburn, but um, I think maybe he's uh, a little bit more of a, a reliable strike thrower. I think Sandburn throws strikes too, but um, I think Aston's maybe got a little bit better uh, command. And so they, they like, they feel, they, they feel comfortable with him back there. And, and that gives you a really nice dynamic, um, you know, kind of middle moment of truth stopper in the middle with, with Sandburn. So and they've got all kinds of other pieces like Kate Lynch and Brandon Moore and these guys that they can mix in there. And, um, you know, I, I, I do like their bullpen depth a lot. I like their rotation a lot. Um, and I like their lineup a lot. I, you know, I, I think that their, their pitching staff is probably better than their offense, but, um, you know they've got uh, they've got some balance in that lineup too, and a lot of athleticism. Yeah, you, one of your guys uh, who was a pick to click for you, kind of coming into the year, and we talked about this in the office when we were doing our college top 100 prospects. Uh, we got a little pushback when you had Matt Reynolds pretty high on the list, uh, the third baseman for Team USA last summer, yeah, hit 220, didn't really you know, do do a whole lot offensively for the college national team, and yeah, this guy's hitting 380 with power so far this year. And the other thing that really sticks out about their lineup, well, you, you talked about their athleticism. To me, that's just a, a Dave Van Horn trademark. He recruits speed, yeah. he recruits athleticism. Uh, but their play discipline is amazing. They've got almost a 400 on base percentage as a team. Their walk to strikeout ratio is nearly one to one. Is that something that you were expecting? I was a little surprised by that with Arkansas, the way they've manufactured a lot of offense this year. I think I am surprised by that a little bit because they, uh, you know, they haven't been a great offensive team the last. Well, last year, I suppose they, they kind of. That's struggled. fair. I think that's yeah, fair. I mean, the last couple of years, they just it doesn't feel like they've ever really been a. They, they, the last couple of years, I feel like they haven't been a juggernaut. They had those years with the Zach Coxes and and Andy Wilkins, right. where they had some real boppers in the lineup. But that that feels like that was again that was almost getting away from what I think of with Dave Van Horn. You know, this is more like a classic Van Horn team. Yeah, and, and you know, last year I think I think they really struggled at times to get on base, and and certainly didn't hit for a good average as a team. I mean. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I was I was curious how their approach um, w- would uh, would play this year, and I think you know you look at Tim Carver as a guy who's really come into his own as, as kind of a catalyst for them, and uh, it's a guy who, who in his whole career never really got on base consistently, and he's become a guy that uh, you know has done that you know more more effectively, and that's been a big difference for them. But Matt Reynolds, the same thing. I mean, you look at. Reynolds and, and Ficcicello now, I think, have what thirty-four walks and, and fourteen strikeouts combined. So I mean, yeah, when, when you're when you're big guys in the middle, I mean, that, that to me feels a lot like a, like a Florida State kind of a stat right there. It seems like Florida State or Clemson, you know, those teams, uh, North Carolina, you know, those teams always have Arizona State. Those teams always have those guys in the middle that you know you you can't pitch to them because if you do, they'll punish you if you're in the strike zone. And you know, and they're patient enough to. to take their walks, you know, and uh, I feel like Ficcicello and Reynolds are, are kind of that duo for Arkansas. I agree. It's a great way of putting it. And uh, elsewhere in the Southeastern Conference, and we'll wrap this up, but it does sound like the other kind of interesting series really was Ole Miss, which was ranked 12th in the uh, top 25 coming into the week, um, loses a series at home to Auburn. Kind of a, I would say not kind of, definitely a surprise series. I mean, a big series for, for Auburn to pick up because – you know, preseason, I think we had them as a, a regional team. Uh, I mean, out, out, outside looking in as far as a regional team goes. Right. If they were, they were kind of a bubble club. And Ole Miss, you know, like I said, it was n- number 12 in our rankings. And you have Ole Miss uh, cough up a late lead on Sunday, and Austin, uh, Auburn kind of s- uh, sneaks in there and, and ends up winning that series. 
Uh, you have any concerns, I guess, about Ole Miss going forward? It seems like they, they had a, a one defensive lapse game with a five errors on the Saturday game, and then Sunday right. just again just kind of blew a late lead, but didn't really weren't really that offensive against an Auburn team. They usually you don't see a lot of Sunday games that are low scoring one run affairs. That's true. You're right, and you know on the whole, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm I'm at all concerned about. Mississippi's offense. I mean, I, I think they've got a really good offense. One of one of the better lineups in, in the SEC with, you know, power and guys you can hit up and down the lineup and good depth. You know, we think we've talked about Alex Yarbrough and Zach Kirksey is a couple of guys who've really gotten off to great starts for them, and, and we'll have a Alex Yarbrough feature on the website, in fact, this week. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was a surprising. I mean, that was a su- really surprising result. But you know, it's one of those things where you know Mike Myers. Uh, Mike Myers, you know, really nice. uh, pitched oh, deep into the game, and and uh, you know he was one strike away from a complete game victory and a two to one win, uh, with the bases empty and two outs in the ninth inning, and you know it did the, the wheels fell off, a couple of doubles by Auburn, and all of a sudden the whole complexion of the series changes. But to me, I mean, again, it's you know it, it feels like one of those things where. It's it's not a cause for panic, you know. You're that close right. to winning the series, and you lose the series. Well, you know, I mean, you move on. It's baseball. I mean, it's, you know, it, I think we we put a lot of emphasis on winning weekend series, and you know, hey, they did lose this series. We dropped them what five spots in the rankings, but um, I, I don't think it's a reason for for serious concern. Yeah, I don't think it revealed anything that we didn't already know about Ole Miss. as kind yeah. of where I would go, and, and meanwhile, it could be something really. It could be for the league. For the SEC, could be a good thing. Could be the kind that Auburn can kind of pin its regional resume to as the season goes on. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. We'll remind you that the Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. ATEC is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit atechsports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills for Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more. At atechsports.com, atech win every practice. I know I got my might league schedule here, and so uh, coach, coaching coach pitch this year. So I've already headed over to atech for a couple of training drills with seven year olds. So they're going to go through it. They're going to they're going to they're going to have more than they bargained for when they play on my team this year. Let's put nice. it that way. Um, let's go to the Pac-10, Aaron. Uh, the biggest series out in the Pac-12. I I'm going to be tripped over that for a long time. Biggest series in the Pac-12 this weekend. You were at it. Uh, UCLA and Arizona State. Um, Bruins and Sun Devils, kind of two different teams. You wrote a lot about this on Three Strikes. Uh, the Sun Devils, I kind of want to get your take on on that club, maybe their mindset uh, of a team that's basically where the regular season is all they've got as their NCAA yeah. infractions. Uh, you know, they they don't have postseason eligibility. Uh, did you get any sense of how that team is reacting to, or, or is they carrying themselves any differently? With that, uh, with, with the regular season, is basically all they have. You know, I, I don't think they are, and and it's. Uh, I think they're reacting kind of how you'd you'd expect Arizona State to react based on the way they've handled the last couple of years. And this program, as we've talked it. about, they've been through it. I mean, you know, two years ago, you know, Pat Murphy, that whole thing happened right before the season started. I mean, it was in what December, I think that happened. Um, you had all that turmoil. You know, with the coaching change, and um, you know, they just went out there and went to Omaha. You know, right. and, and then the following year, of course, you know, they they entered the season having no, not knowing whether or not they'd be able to play in the tournament, and they had that hanging over their heads all season long. Uh, you know, and of course, they had the Corey Hahn situation, and they went out there and uh, you know what? They won a regional. I mean, they, they just they these guys 
you know the mental toughness that this this team has and the whole program it's just it's just you know this aura about them even with you know a, a lot of turnover now i mean they just they they recruit these hard-nosed guys uh, and you look at them with their baggy uniforms and their you know scruffy beards and all this stuff, and it just feels like these guys don't care. They're going to go out there and play baseball. And you know, and and I talked about that with with Brady Rogers a little bit. We'll have a piece on him in the, the in the dugout segment that we do. Um, Rogers piece. That's right, Rogers. And he, uh, you know, he kind of embodies that whole thing for me. I mean, I think he just. Uh, He's just a you know a big old Texas bulldog who's going to go out there and and, and win and and uh, he uh, you know and he kind of talked about how they they just they're not worrying about that stuff you know control the controllables is what Augie Garrido would say and and I feel like nice. this team really believes that and they just go out there and you know hey so what they can't play in regionals they're going to go out there and, and play baseball that's what it's about. I like that attitude. Uh, I also have, I've always been a fan of their of the old school baggy look that the uh, Sun Devils have. Have used yeah. it's, it's much superior to their early uh, early nineties and or uh, in mid eighties kind of the bright yellow you know look they used to have. So I'm right. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that look. Uh, UCLA continues to to get it done offensive. Uh, excuse me, easy for me to say offensively, uh, which has been impressive. Let's talk about your Pacific Northwest real quick here, because we had uh, uh, Oregon lose a series uh, again to Washington. Kind of we put the as we like to say in the top twenty five rankings meeting. Uh, we put Oregon on notice. <laughs> they dropped yeah. to the bottom of the. Uh, uh, they're at number twenty-four, and the, with each waning, each uh, inter- interceding week, that sweep at Vanderbilt looks a little bit less impressive. Hey, everybody's doing mm-hmm. it. You know, everybody's sweeping right. Vanderbilt. Um, but the Ducks uh, drop seven spots after losing a series at Washington. Meanwhile, the Beavers, uh, the ball was a pretty pretty great weekend for the Ballers as they go down to Cal and sweep that Cal series. And, uh, again, Oregon State, it's, it feels like – you wrote that about them in weekend preview, but it feels like it's kind of a familiar uh, familiar club for Oregon State. All the names have changed. They can really pitch, and offensively, if you give them a, a crack, uh, they really take advantage. That's true, and and I also think that, you know, as I wrote in weekend preview last week, I think the addition of Michael Conforto and, and Dylan Davis does change the complexion of this team. I mean, I think it gives them more power in the middle – um, than they've had in a while. I mean, Andrew Susak had power last year. Don't get me wrong, but you know he was also hurt for a chunk of the year. And I think when he came back, maybe the uh, the wrist thing maybe sapped his power a little bit. But um, you know, these guys to me, I mean, it's like they haven't had since what Cole Gillespie and Mitch Canham in the middle. You know, I mean, yeah. um, it's uh, the it, guy I think of as like a, a guy who was a, a, a true guy who ever had to fear in the middle of their lineup. You know, real yeah. power guy. I mean, they had other good hitters in their other very good years. Like you said, Susack right. or uh, Leonardton in the 07 team, these kind of guys. Right, right. Um, but, but to me, Gillespie was like their, their last real big power threat. Right. Maybe Andy, what, Andy Jenkins before him. Is that who I'm thinking yeah. of in the 05 nice, team? Nice pull. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, this, so they've had, they've had guys like that here and there, but they have two of those guys back to back, a couple of really strong freshmen. I think, I think makes them more dangerous. And, and, you know, uh, they've, they've got all those typical Oregon state guys around them. You know, the, the the beaver dirtbag type guys, uh, you know the Ryan Duns and the you know um, you know all these kind of you know Jake Rodriguez. I really love Jake Rodriguez, and now he's he's catching for them. He's made the transition from second base to being their primary catcher, and and uh, uh, and done a really good job with that. And you know, that's something that I think scouts were kind of waiting to see. I think scouts 
Um, I've been saying for a couple of years that they thought Rodriguez would make a good catcher, and you know that's proving to be the case. So that gives them a little bit more flexibility. They can do a bunch of things with their lineup and move guys around. And uh, you know, I, I think they're I think they're a fun team. I think that uh, you know they're going to have ups and downs. I mean. We we kind of thought coming into the year that Oregon State, Vanderbilt, some of these teams, you know, had some some new players, had had some upside, but also had some risk. And interestingly, I think Oregon State has has handled that better than Vanderbilt has. You know, two teams that had similar question marks about their experience, uh, particularly on the mound. And you know, one of them has has survived, and one of them hasn't. Vanderbilt, I mean, you have to you have to acknowledge the schedule. I mean, they were they've been on the road against number one Florida and number two Stanford, and they were swept by both of those teams. And there's, you know, I mean, hey, those teams are better. Uh, but still, I mean, that's a, you that's look a really, at... That's a key point, though. That's a very yeah. key point. I mean, they, they have not had an easy schedule. I mean, they, you're going to be knocked back a little bit on your heels when you play Stanford. <laughs> you know, yep. you get, yep. And you get pounded by them. And that, that made things very difficult, uh, it feels like, for Vanderbilt. They really just haven't been able to catch their breath yet and just when they maybe yeah. you, you catch your breath a little bit when you beat Siena a couple times and then hey good luck at Florida wear it you right. know I mean they, right. and they start off with at Florida Georgia South Carolina at Mississippi State and I know there's no easy series necessarily in the Southeastern Conference but if you really wanted one I, I mean no disrespect to these two programs or these coaching staffs but if you were a team I wanted to play in the SEC this year it would be Alabama or Tennessee yeah and 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 they get those teams later, and they probably could have used them early. And I might have put Auburn in that discussion too until this weekend. And you know, I I, I think the jury's still out on how good Auburn is, but I, I certainly they you know I think they they made some noise this weekend and put people on notice that uh, you know they're not going to be a, an easy series for anybody. So yeah, this league you know as usual it's 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 a grind. But I, I I'm curious whether or not Vanderbilt will be able to get back on track because I just don't know how good their pitching is. I mean, hey, it was it was risk-reward, risk you know, with, with Tyler Beattie and, and, and Sam Selman, and so far the the risk has certainly outweighed the reward. There's no doubt about that. They've been uh, – they've just been bad. There's no there's no real no positive spin there. They just have not been a good team. Uh, Aaron, let's shift gears a little bit. One of the more interesting weekend uh, – midweek series, I should say – uh, was this Arizona uh, Rice series? We're kind of still t- in that Pac-10, uh, Pac-12 tangent a little bit that we were on. Uh, the Wildcats, kind of, they're, they're number five in our rankings. To me, it almost feels like it's a kind of a soft <laughs> number five. Mm-hmm. Almost, I think we know that yeah. they have good talent. This was really their first big test. Uh, I, I would say they passed it. They go on the road and split two games. Midweek series are always tough, and then you and you play a five-game week with one of those series being a uh, a, a league series. They were at home to, against Washington State, and they, you know, have to rally and win a you know, sweep a doubleheader on Saturday to to win the series. It still feels like this is a this has just been a hard team to get a, a necessarily mm-hmm. a great read on. Uh, do you feel that way? And do you feel it feels like we're going to get yeah. a better read next weekend at Oregon State? We really feel like to me, I feel like that'll be a real big measuring stick for Arizona. No, I agree with you. I mean, they, uh, you look at their early schedule and it's not terribly impressive. I mean, they did have that two out of three series win against Auburn, but other than that, um, you know, they were at home pretty much the whole time, I think, and, and hadn't really had a chance to make a statement until this week. So, um, you know, I, I, I like them because of their talent. Um, but it does feel like there are some question marks. I mean, uh, you know, how good is the pitching? Um, I, one reason we ranked them so high is because we thought that Kurt Heyer and, and Connor Wade would be a great one-two punch. And, um, you know, Wade, 
has has struggled a little bit the last two weeks. And I still really like Connor Wade. And I think he's really good, but um, you know, we'll need to we'll need to see if he can get back on track. And then I think uh, uh, Hire took the loss, if I'm not mistaken, on Friday. Um, he did, yeah. So I mean, this is his first loss, but he's 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 played pretty well this year. Um, you know, I, I like Matt Troop in the back of their bullpen. I think as a freshman, even though he's a freshman closer, I think he's well suited for that role with his stuff and his mentality. Um, and uh, you know, the Sunday job they've they've gone with with James Ferris there. Um, he certainly has the talent to to be a, a quality Pac-12 starter, but again, he's been a little bit up and down. So I think on the mound is where I still wonder how how good Arizona is. But I'll tell you. I didn't think this was a terribly deep pitching staff, and I thought this week would give them trouble um, with and they five survived games. It a little bit better. The, the yeah. five games, they, they survived a little bit better, and they also showed the ability that if they need to, they can win a game with offense. They can bank right. it around 20, game, 20 runs in the Saturday doubleheader. I thought that was a good sign that they won uh, three games d- during a difficult week. Wazoo, we always know uh, Wazoo's going to battle you. Donnie Marbitt's clubs are, are grinding kind of clubs. Uh, that brings me to, to Rice. Which has also been a little bit of a harder team to get a, a handle on, Aaron, because just when you think they're kind of going good, you know, they, they they do get a you know, they stole a game at, at Stanford last weekend, which very few other teams are have, have shown they could do. I mean, they they shut down Stanford. They've got a sweep against Floyd International, but they had a, kind of an iffy weekend in the Houston College Classic where they they gave up a couple runs. They had mm-hmm. the big game with, with Texas where they gave up a lot of runs. You know, beating Texas Tech and Tennessee, those are games they're supposed to win. Um, they've had. It seems like they've been a little bit of an erratic bunch, and that yeah. that just really comes out to me losing to Grambling State uh, right. this weekend. Uh, they they'll start Conference USA play next weekend. It still feels like Rice is the is the standard bearer for Conference USA and the favorite. Central Florida really hasn't impressed against anybody that well. They've played better teams. They have lost. Uh, East Carolina seems like they're kind of lying there as the sleeper in that league. Uh, team we really haven't talked much about, but a team that. Has experienced pitching, has some arms. Uh, it feels like th- those are the top three clubs in Conference USA, which I think we projected coming into the year still the top three clubs as we get ready for to, for conference play to start. I think that's true. Yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. And you know, Central Florida is another one of those clubs that you look at their weekend series, and, and they played five northern teams, um, all with losing records. Some of them with really lopsided losing records. Uh, you know, and, and the, the the midweek games they played against. You know, those four quality Florida teams, Florida, Florida State, and Miami, um, they've lost all those. They're 0-4 in those games. So, um, you know, I like UCF's talent. Um, I think they're a nice, solid, balanced college team. But um, how good are they? Well, I don't think we really know yet um, because they haven't beaten a good team yet, really. Uh, I mean, Boston yeah. College is okay, uh, but they've they've fallen off. Now they've gotten swept, I think, twice in ACC play. So that series looks a little less impressive. Um, you know, I, I think Rice – you know, you were talking about them before. They lost to Grambling State. What's the the one common thread here with these losses? Austin Kibitza. You know, he he pitched in that wow. Texas game that they lost. He he got hammered at Stanford. I mean, he just. I don't know what they're going to do with that guy. I don't know if they need to take a step back and pull him out of the weekend rotation until they can get it figured out. Because uh, he's just not the same guy. You know that that dominated for a lot of last year. That you know dominated in the Cal Collegiate League. I mean, he just. Uh, they need to get him straightened out, and and uh, whether, you know, whether it's a mechanical thing, whether he's arm fatigue. I mean, uh, his velocity was down in Houston when I saw him, and and right. you know, they said there's nothing wrong with him physically. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I'm wondering how much more patience they're going to have with him because he has not been good for a month now. 
That's a great point, and that's uh, that's a real concern. Meanwhile, East Carolina, really, we, we thought this would be a team that could pitch. Uh, we really liked the, the, the experienced senior, Kevin Brandt, uh, a talented newcomer in Jarrell Cotton, uh, drafted, what, like in the 11th round, 12th round? Yeah. Uh, by the Mets last year, good junior college player, and the redshirt sophomore uh, Tyler Joyner, who they've had high hopes for in the past. He's been very good in summer ball, but he's had some uh, whether it's academic, I forget what the issue has been uh, the last uh, year or so. But uh, he's really pitched well. I mean, they've they they really seem like they have one of the better. I mean, if if Kubica is not if Kubica goes on being the Kubica that he's been this year, East Carolina has the best pitching staff in in this conference, doesn't it? I think you're right. I, I believe that is that is true. Um, and uh, you know, I I think East Carolina's got a decent lineup too. I mean, I I think they haven't really hit their ceiling yet as as an offensive team. But uh, I like you know Corey Thompson in the middle and John Wooten and you know, I think Zach Wright will come around and hit for some power. He hasn't really done so yet. Um, but uh, you know, th- this team to me, Chase McDonald. That's a couple guys who are you know, some physical guys. McDonald's a sophomore, right to see you, but some physical guys who you expect. Be able to provide some of that power that you know, got to have those guys with some, some man strength in the middle of your lineup to, to get to Omaha. This feels like you know, they have a couple guys who can, who can do that and they're surviving, you know, as, a, as an offense. I mean, not peak efficiency, but they're surviving, even though two of the guys you really expect them to kind of carry the load for them really haven't gotten going yet. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think when that happens, um, you know. This team is, is to me, it, it feels like a team that could find itself into the top 25 pretty soon. And, um, you know, they, they've gotten some quality wins now. I mean, they, they went down to that tournament at Alabama, and they beat Louisville and Alabama and Oral Roberts. And, uh, you know, they I, I like that series sweep against Stony Brook. We like that Stony Brook team. Um, you know, next weekend at UCF, we'll see how, we'll see how good they, both those teams are. I think it's a great litmus test for both those clubs. Aaron, real quick, let's on the uh, Big 12 and the Atlantic Coast Conference. Real quick, look at the ACC, where I guess the story so far is Florida State still pitching better than we thought they would. Uh, they've got a series to wrap up with Virginia tonight. That game will be on ESPNU, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you have NC State, winner of back-to-back series at home. Uh, pretty big week for NC State, where the uh, you know we're obviously located here in North Cackalack. NC State, where they're they're pretty excited about their basketball team in the Sweet 16 for the first time in like six years. Uh, they'll be on the road at East Carolina and then at North Carolina. So for their next four games, uh, they're going on the road here. Um, NC State obviously has moved up our rankings pretty high here to number 20. Um, anything, anybody stand out out of the ACC so far to you? As, uh, has there been any surprises in the league? Um, you know, I, I think that, Early on, you could say Wake Forest and Maryland were both, you know, certainly a little bit surprising. I mean, those are teams that uh, we had pegged as probably the, the bottom quarter of the league coming into the year, and they've both had their moments. I mean, certainly, you know, we've talked about Maryland. Um, right. You know, they've now had two bad weekends in a row. They got swept at Wake Forest, and they, they lost two out of three against a, a North Carolina team that you would expect them to lose two out of three to. Um, but, uh, you know, Maryland had those two first really good weekends at UCLA and then down at the Keith LeClaire. Um, uh, I, I feel like right now we, we, uh, we don't know how good they are. You know, they, they, they just lost their starting center fielder for the year with a broken hand and a non-baseball incident, and they had nine guys suspended for parts of this past weekend, so that's that certainly didn't weird. help. Yeah, that was, that was weird. weird. 
Yeah, you know, I, who knows what happened there? You can probably read between the lines and figure out there was some kind of incident. But um, you know, it's uh, that's that's a, it's a strange deal. And then you got you know Wake Forest. I, I actually still believe Wake Forest is pretty good, even after they got swept at NC State. Um, you know, it, it's a but I, but I think we can back off a little bit from what we were saying maybe three weeks ago when we were talking about how deep this league was and you know Boston College you know at that point had had really emerged and got off to a good start and you know uh, Maryland and Wake Forest were, were kind of making some noise. Now those teams seem like they've they've settled down a little bit more to what they are, which is you know I mean, let's face it they're they're back half of the ACC teams that probably, you know, maybe one of those teams will make a run of regionals, but um, let's not get carried away. That's You were headed in exactly the direction that I was trying to lead you to, so I'm, I'm very pleased as a, as a podcast host that you took the lead and, and, and went where I wanted you to go because that's what I'm thinking. Um, and the other thing that stands out to me, Aaron, about the Big 12 is that this is a league as a collective that does not seem like it has a dominant team. You have Texas A&M. Preseason favorite. They're still our highest-ranked team in this conference, but you know, an, almost an inexplicable Friday loss to Kansas State, where they, where Michael Waka really gets just knocked around, yeah. uh, like like a Fozzie Bear. I, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, this is. A, I just did a little quick math, even though I'm a liberal arts guy. Did a little quick math here. This, this league has a collective winning percentage below 600. Wow. Which you know, it's early in the year. Usually, you expect the the, the big conferences to have gaudy win loss records. Uh, they've only got one team that's ten games over five hundred. That's Texas A and M. Yeah. Um, I I feel like it was a really uh, the, the, this is a league that's in danger of being a four bid league. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's a big story of the weekend. Obviously, was you know uh, Texas and Baylor getting sweeps. Uh, Baylor sweeping Texas Tech. Texas sweeping a series at Oklahoma. I know you don't want to hit the panic button, like you said. It's it's just March, but boy, Oklahoma's pitching is kind of a—I don't mm-hmm. know if I should say shambles, but they're just not—they're not performing at peak efficiency. Put it that way. No, they're not, and and uh, I think there's cause for concern there. I mean, their whole uh, the whole expectations for Oklahoma were, I think, in large part predicated upon the belief that uh, these junior college guys were going to come in there: Jonathan Gray, Stephen Okert, Damian Magnifico. Uh, in particular, those three guys were going to come in and, and take on huge roles in the weekend rotation and in the back of the bullpen. And all three of those guys have been very erratic. I mean, they've had their moments, um, but on the whole, I think they've been unreliable. And, uh, you know, that, I think that that is reason to adjust our, our expectations for Oklahoma until further notice. Um, I think in general, I agree that the Big 12 looks down this year. And even coming into the year, I think we projected them for five regional bids. Right. Um, with Missouri being the fifth team in. And, a lot, um, a lot of, and a lot of guys, a lot of those teams like Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Missouri, K-State. I mean, K-State was more on the outside of that. But teams that were, were they, well, they needed a break. Yeah, they were going to have to get a break or two. Yeah, and they were all kind of bubble teams. That, that's right. how it felt like a lot of teams. Absolutely, in that sixty to sixty-four range. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, to me, coming into the year, I thought it was A and M, Texas, Oklahoma, and Baylor. To me, seemed like the four teams that I would have felt felt really good about as regional teams. And after that, I thought you had a group of everybody else that was, uh, you know, like you said, perfectly put, a bubble team. I mean, Texas yeah. Tech felt like a preseason bubble team, and Missouri and Oklahoma State maybe. Uh, you know, Kansas State. I mean. Even Kansas. I mean, it, you know, all those teams. You, you can envision any one of those teams or two of those teams getting into regionals, or none of them. Right. Um, and right, right now, it, it seems like you know, if I had to bet, I'd bet on none of them. 
Yeah, I, yeah, that's 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 it. I mean, really, like right right now, Baylor probably having the best season of any of these teams in terms of like what their expectations were. They're kind of performing yeah. up to expectations, and even they have a couple. I wouldn't say inexplicable losses, but you know, the couple losses to Lamar, getting shut out by Michigan State. This still seems like a, a somewhat erratic team, but uh, they. I don't know if this how this happens, but they have a very strange schedule where their first three league series are all at home. So Texas Tech, Kansas, Oklahoma State, uh, all at home before they yeah. you know, have a real shot. To, they have a chance to really make some hay. Yeah. And then at the end of the season, basically, they don't have one three-game series at home after that because they have the two split series with A&M and Texas. Right. So they kind of need to make some hay right now uh, while they're and, at home. And those three series that they start off with are all – eminently winnable, you know, with Kansas and Oklahoma State as the next two teams, and Oklahoma State's scuffling right now, um, I mean, other than Andrew Haney, who we wrote about in Golden Spike Spotlight. Uh, they lost a series to uh, to Houston this weekend. and They lost a couple weeks ago to TCU. That's right, and, and they were swept, of course, at Cal Poly to open the year, so um, Oklahoma State is nothing special, um, and, uh, you know, they've got some youth and some injuries. They've had they had a bunch of guys. I think they had three guys have Tommy John surgery before the season started, and you know Ooh. I just think it's it's taken a toll on them. Um, so you know I, I think uh, I think Baylor to me, I I think they're going to get off to a good start here in conference play and 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 ride that kind of uh, into the second half of the season and into regionals. I, I got to think uh, those injuries going to make it tough for Frank Anderson. I mean the yeah. guy has been he's in his ninth season. Uh, they haven't been to regionals each of the last three years. Am I right about that, Aaron? I'd have to go back and look, but I know 30, it's... 34 and 24, 29, 26, 35, 25. If they went, they went skidding their teeth, you know, yeah. one of those years. So it just has not been a great stretch uh, recently here for Oklahoma State. And, uh, you know, you kind of hope for uh, for Frank's sake that they turn some things around. I think um, it was it was Andy Oliver's uh, sophomore year would have been their last, last regional year. And that was, you know, so. just uh, no team should have that happen to them, what the NCAA did to Oklahoma State. That's all there is to yeah. it. And I'm going to wrap up on this note. I've actually I'm, – I'm springing this on you. Unless there's something else you want to bring up. I, I got into this debate a little bit on Twitter with somebody the other day about uh, college athletics, and I get a little tired of college athletics getting banged on as much as it does because my basic thesis is uh, – the, the twofold. One, the NCAA is kind of indefensible, but college, yeah. but college athletics is very defensible. College athletics does does have a, uh, I think the positives of college athletics far the way they're set up in the United States outweigh the negatives of college athletics. The NCAA is the real issue there with just the arbitrariness, the rule book that's just too thick. The problems that I think even people of the NCAA in a frank moment would acknowledge. My other question and my other point I want to see if you agree with is that I'm I'm not totally ignorant, but I am fairly ignorant of how amateur sports run in other countries. But I would say that the United States system is still more egalitarian and probably less corrupt than amateur sports around the rest of the world. Less corrupt in that I'm just looking at from the baseball standpoint. Amateur players around the rest of the world who can sign with their 16, that's as corrupt as it gets in, in baseball. And then in the rest of the world, again, the the egalitarian part of it, there a guy who's a good college player in Japan, does that guy – I think there is college baseball in Japan, but it feels like there's more opportunity and a better system here for the quote-unquote good college player who could really have a great college experience, play baseball, go to college, 
earn his way to a degree, take advantage of a lot of opportunities, even when it's not a full scholarship sport. Uh, I've been having that discussion with some people over the weekend on Twitter and about college athletics, and I, I don't know why I feel inclined. To, I, ne- I never feel inclined to defend the NCAA, but I guess I have felt inclined lately to, f- to defend college athletics. I guess I just wanted to throw that out yeah. to you and see what you thought. I love that distinction. I really do. I think it's an important distinction that, that the NCAA is not uh, is not the same as college athletics as, as a concept. Um, and I and I and I completely agree that you know I think there's a lot of problems with the NCAA. And we've talked uh, over the years. We've railed on the NCAA about things yeah. we don't like. Been some, mean, good, been some good uh, Memorial Day rants. That's right. And you know, not just on Selection Day. Right. I mean, the way these the way they treat players, as far as the agent stuff, is just the an- inexcusable. Yeah, the, the Andy Oliver thing is the thing that made me think of it. I mean, they just yeah. by trying to enforce their rules. They did the. They they made Andy Oliver a guy who the one thing you want to be when you're in a team sport is a good teammate, and they yeah. made Andy Oliver a bad teammate because he couldn't be there for his teammates in that regional, and think of how it affects and it impacts Frank Anderson's career. I mean, what if he had a trip to Omaha on that resume as a head coach with Andy Oliver? I mean, it's just that one arbitrary decision just seems. Uh, to have had such ripple effects, yeah. and yeah. Uh, the NCAA doesn't think about things like that. I don't think. Uh, you know, I mean, we could we could go on and on about all the things that right. are wrong with the NCAA and, and wrong with the way that they govern college athletics. But I, I also think that it is important to note that um, you know, when you're looking at things that are wrong with college athletics, yes, the NCAA is is a big part of that, but the schools. Are a big part of that. And when it comes to, to to the basketball and football levels, we have to acknowledge how greedy these yeah. university presidents and board of trustees are. I mean, it's the almighty dollar that drives everything, and it's not like that in baseball so much because it's just a different animal. Right. Uh, it's just such a smaller scale, and even the you know even the big schools that are really successful in baseball, you don't get the sense uh, that there's maybe the corruption that I, I frankly think exists in, um, in, in other sports as far as the academic, probably, you know, fraud that I suspect goes on and that has been proven to have gone on in a lot of places, including North Carolina and Our Florida state. Mater, absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Ohio state, uh, Southern California. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, in football and basketball, there's just, I think these, these, these teams have proven, these schools have proven that they'll bend a lot of rules and, and just shatter a lot of rules Whatever it takes to get a competitive edge, and you know, get into the next big conference and get into the next big bowl game and next make the next tower millions of dollars in endorsements or whatever. I mean, it's uh, it's just you know, there's a distinction between college football, college basketball, and the rest of college athletics. And and I think the rest of college athletics, you know, is is is, is there's a lot of noble things about it. And, and there are, there are noble. I think that's a great. Hey, that's a good. I think that word is justified, and especially. I know Ron Polk will unsubscribe after I say this. He'll unsubscribe to the podcast, but especially for women's athletes and women's sports. Yeah. I mean, without the NCAA, really, without Title IX, without college athletics, uh, that's that's been a that's, a that's a game changer for women in this country for the last forty years. And I think yes. it's been a game changer in the positive. And yeah, Title IX and the way that schools have uh, lived up to Title IX or not lived up to it has hurt baseball as a sport because it does reduce scholarships and. And yada yada yada, but just on the whole, <laughs> when you're judging college athletics, uh, women's sports is a giant plus for right. college athletics in this country. So, um, and 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 one last thought I think that also we should throw in here is, 
you know, hey, I'm, we're making these sweeping comments about football and basketball, but right. it's important to acknowledge too that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, of legitimate, you know, hardworking student athletes in those sports too that, uh, you know, that aren't going to be pro athletes and that aren't taking money or, or you know, getting um, the wrong kind of help with their their, their school. I mean. Just think of all the Division Two and Division Three, you know, right. players out there. I mean, uh, the NCAA. There are a lot of college athletes. It's you know, just because we we've seen you know a half dozen cases of of pretty uh, ugly corruption in the last few years, uh, you know, in, in, in some of these football programs, um, it's not fair to to necessarily impugn college football as a whole. To me, it really is an it impugns capitalism <laughs> more yes. than it impugns college athletics because. The, the 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 factor here the the thing that changes everything is the greed uh, the right. intersection the intersection of the big money sports with amateurism the idea of amateurism which is an outdated idea yep. that's the real that's where you get these the, the real problems but uh, that could be a whole separate podcast and we probably should get a guest for that podcast that would be a fun podcast though um, we should get, we should get my wife as a guest she wrote a, a legal note about uh, how the NCAA's uh, concept of amateurism is outdated and really needs to be redefined and, and could solve a lot of their problems. Uh, I, I think that's true. I think that the NCAA clings to this outdated notion that uh, that you know athletes need to be amateurs and can't be paid. Um, well, you know, maybe be better off in some cases acknowledging that a profit motive does exist. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is America, you know. That's right. A profit motive exists for this podcast, which is sponsored by ATEC. <laughs> what a great segue. <laughs> the Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. ATEC is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECsports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on atechsports.com, atech, when every practice. Aaron, I cannot wipe the smile off my face that I made that <laughs> that segue. You're uh, your world-class get... podcast host, John. i got to give it to you. <laughs> Thanks. That was fun. Um, big week coming up in college baseball. Obviously, we've got Florida at South Cackalack. That's going to be big time. Um, care to handicap that series real quick? I like the Gators. I just think they're they're playing better, and I think they are better. And even though it's in Columbia, I, I'm going to take Florida to win two out of three. There's a couple other things that, that, that jump out to me uh, in next weekend's uh, schedules. And I have to give a shout-out to uh, D1Baseball.com, which you know makes a lot of this so much easier to find. You could go between all the conference websites, yeah. but I enjoy the the, uh, uh, the website. and uh, they, they do a great job of aggregating uh, schedules and things like that, which is very helpful. Right. I'm sure a lot of college baseball fans already use it. But you got some pretty, I think, kind of a make-or-break series for Vanderbilt, home against Georgia next weekend. We didn't really talk about Mississippi State, but their injury-riddled bunch, uh, feisty bunch, <laughs> uh, at home against Arkansas next weekend. That's going to be a pretty nice test. LSU going on the road. And every time I think of LSU, Aaron, I'm thinking of Appalachian State this year. And Appalachian State just keeps on – kind of chugging along. Of course, they, they won that series at LSU in the week, second weekend of the, se- of the season. Um, they've got uh, a non-conference, two non-conference wins against Duke. That, I don't know how much that's going to help their RPI. You're playing an ACC team. Right. That'll help. But uh, they swept their first two conference series in, in, in uh, Southern Conference play. Davidson and Citadel kind of get a bigger test next weekend at Elon. Elon, a consistent uh, winner in the, in the Southern Conference where the, the league is, I think, a little bit 
down just because of the injuries that have uh, plagued Georgia Southern, the preseason favorite, uh, with right. Victor Roach's injury and then Chris Beck really not being uh, that sharp. What else are you looking forward to uh, next weekend? Well, I'm excited about the one series we touched on earlier, which is East Carolina and Central Florida. I think that's it's, right. uh, it's you know, uh, to me, that's that's an opportunity to really see who's legit in, in, in the uh, uh, in the Conference USA. I mean, I think both those teams are exciting, um, but this is this is the first test certainly for, on a weekend for the Knights, uh, and I'm eager to see how they fare. That's a good but conference play. Pretty much starts everywhere. If it hasn't already started, the Big East yeah. starts next weekend. Purdue at Ohio State. That'll be interesting in the Big Ten where uh, Purdue obviously still in our top 25 rankings there at 25. Um, Illinois at Nebraska. So Nebraska's kind of uh, Big Ten era uh, really gets started, I guess, uh, next weekend. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to – uh, I, I know it can be hard, especially uh, for me. It can be hard sometimes to turn off the basketball on a weekend. And, and but there's but if you pay attention, and obviously if you listen to this podcast, you'd pay attention. Uh, there's a lot of great college baseball out there, and the weather has been so warm around most of the country. Although I guess a little stormy in SoCal this weekend, huh? Yeah, we got we got the the bad end of it. It was a, a rainy Saturday, but. Uh... Fortunately, Sunday cooperated and uh, were able to get that double header in at UCLA, and uh, it was it worked out very well. Well, get out uh, for people to, to – we definitely encourage people to get out there and uh, and take in some of this. I forgot to read this Twitter question, and we'll wrap up, Aaron. S underscore O underscore Smith uh, asks, we dropped Oregon to 24. Where's Washington right now? Uh, Washington made a mistake, so, which uh, allowed UO to win the last game. But he felt that Washington dominated the series. Uh, kind of been an interesting year for Lindsey Meggs and the, and the Huskies. I wouldn't say they're necessarily near the top 25, but they, they've shown some signs of progress this year, which is the biggest, uh, the best thing I would say. I agree. I mean, I, I love the fact that they went down to UC Irvine and won a series back in week two. Uh, you know, they started the season in Southern California and, and won a series at uh, San Diego State, you know. Uh, and then, you know, they went down to Cal Poly and, and played okay, won a game down there against a team that's played pretty Pretty well, Cal Poly. Uh, Cal and then this week, certainly... we we, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we really haven't talked about Cal Poly, but that's one we should try to talk about more next week. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit Big West focus on next week's podcast because Cal Poly is off to a really encouraging start. But I'll let you finish your answer about uh, about UW. Yeah, you know, and, and then certainly this weekend, taking two out of three against Oregon is, is, is a nice way for Washington to start the season. I think. Uh, you know, I, I think their team is intriguing. I mean, talent-wise, I, I like some of their young talent, some of their freshmen. Um, you know, they've they've uh, they, they've definitely upgraded um, the talent level there, and they've got a couple of good juniors. I mean, Jacob Lamb is a guy that we know Connor Glassy is really excited about. Is is you know one of his Northwest guys, but right. uh, um, you know, I, I think for one thing, you know, you, you as far as being a top twenty-five uh, consideration, I mean. Uh, they they came from way back, you know, and, and right. they they still got some work to do to get up there. And I and I still think looking at the Pac-12, the problem is Washington. I think is decent, but who are they really better than? I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, there's deep, this league is so deep, and right now, I mean, they're you know, they're, I just think they're well back in the pecking order. And you know, it's uh, I, I think as the as the the season progresses, I think they're going to probably settle back toward the the back part of the, of the standings. Um, I mean, even Oregon, you know, is a team that probably is, is artificially inflated when it comes to the ranking. Um, we maybe overreacted when they, when they expect that series at Vanderbilt, because it turns out Vanderbilt isn't as good as we thought they were. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, so we'll see 
we'll see how good Oregon is as well. Like both those teams, it remains to be seen, um, you know, how they're going to fare in conference. I just think that at the top of the league with Stanford, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona, Oregon oh, State, um, you know, those, what, five teams. And then, you know, and then you, have, you still have to consider Cal a real factor, even though they got swept this weekend with all, with all the talent they have back from last year's Omaha team. Um, you know, USC has shown signs of being pretty good this year, although they lost the series to Utah. So maybe you got to think about Utah as a factor. Uh, you know, Washington State's dangerous. The league is really deep, but I think those top five teams are just a real clear cut above everybody else. And that's a great point and a great way to end it. Thanks to everybody for the uh, Twitter questions. Again, if you're not already following him, at Aaron Fit is Aaron Fitt's Twitter. I am at John Manuel BA. And this has been the Baseball America podcast. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next week. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.